Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a midsize SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower, hybrid max powertrain on limited and platinum trims. Hybrid max powertrain engine delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even available safety features like an available panoramic view mirror and an available 12.3-inch multi-information display, so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash grandhighlander. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Head in store and shop for all your favorite personal care essentials to earn four times rewards points. Shop for products from Olay, Always, Gillette, Vicks, and Crest. Plus, check out new items like Mr. Clean Magic Eraser Ultra Thick Multi-Surface Cleaner. No more sponges or other cleaning products needed. And Head & Shoulders Bare Soothing Hydration Shampoo, a new kind of anti-dandruff shampoo with only nine ingredients. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for for more details. Welcome to the NBA Finals File with Robert Ori and Jabari Davis. I am Jabari, former NBA writer turned podcaster, and this is seven-time champ Robert Ori, a.k.a. Big Shot Bob. Ori for three. Oh, unbelievable. This guy is off the charts. You know what? I'm kind of sad, Jabari. Why is that? This is the last one in this series but you know what i'm excited also because this is featuring in my eyes two of the best guards to ever play this game that we don't talk about so i'm excited for this series i'm excited for this this game and this matchup so i can't I, you know it's it's bittersweet so to say I, I i feel you i appreciate that and i'm right there with you i was gonna wait till the end but i will say this has been a great run, you know. As as Rob just alluded to, this is the final, you know, the, the final series of this season. I'll say at least for now, um, but it's been a heck of a run, and, you know, a great ten series. You know, going through them with you, I totally agree. You know, when you deep dive into each and every series like we have, it 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 makes you really love the game. It, it, even though I played the game for sixteen seasons, it's opened my eyes up to so many different players that you forgot about. It opened my eyes up to so many different um, aspects of the game. You know, think about it. We don't, these young guys now, they don't even know what illegal defense is where you have to be lifted. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it brought back all these old memories hand of the checking. game. You know, yeah. hand check and traveling, you know, not in, not, not in first class, but coach <laughs> and on a commercial flight. You know, it reminds me of little things like that. You know, the, and the way these guys, had to play each and every night. They didn't have the technology that the guys have today, you know, looking on the iPad or, or whatever it is to look at the game and look at the mistakes because I'm sure if these coaches in this series, especially Portland, mm-hmm. would have had the ability to, to see certain things live and, you know, after a moment, they would have changed a lot of the coaching schemes. And we're going to get into that. And there's a lot of things I want to point out that I guarantee you if Adelman had a second chance to do it, he would do it differently. 
So as Rob has also just alluded to, this week's matchup is the 1990 NBA Finals between the Detroit Pistons and the Portland Trailblazers. Let's go ahead and just jump into it. The Pistons, their path to the Finals, they beat this team. You may not have heard of them before. They beat the Lakers in the Finals the previous year. We'll just move on past that. Uh, they finished this season 59-23 and for first in the Central. They were 3-0 over the Pacers uh, in the first round, 4-1 over the Knicks in the second round, and then 4-3 over the Bulls. But, Rob, hold on. I thought MJ never lost. Yeah, MJ never lost in the finals, sort of like the guy named Robert Orch. In, in in terms of that run, do you remember you know the run that they had? You know, three zero over the Pacers, four one over the Knicks, and four three over the Bulls. Do you remember anything specific that uh, that stood out from that? You know, it's weird. I was in college at this time, and I really wasn't into NBA basketball at this time. And I was a sophomore oh. in college. We had just lost in the NCAA tournament, and someone ranked me in the top ten a small force in the country. I'm like, what? <laughs> it says, you might make it to the NBA. And my whole focus changed. And it's like, I I can remember sitting at, you know, in Bryant Hall, sitting at, at lunch and Michael Ainsley, who went on and got drafted by Orlando, um, he was telling me about this. And I had never thought about going to the NBA. And at that moment, my whole perspective came. I started, you know, lifting weights harder. I started training harder. And I really didn't pay that much attention to this league. But after that, I deep dove like we're doing in all these series into the NBA and was trying to learn from these players. And I believe you 100 percent. But it's it's nuts to me to think that even as a sophomore, you know, by the time you were a sophomore in college, you, did, you hadn't considered that that was your next you know, that was your next step. Let me ask this. What what would have been your next step if you weren't, you know, seven time NBA champ, you know, you know, had a fantastic <laughs> career, played with legends, you know, done all types of great things. What would you have been doing? You know, um, we always talk about role models. You know, my mother and my father were my role models. Um, I wasn't going to do what my dad did. He served in the military 28 years. I wasn't going to follow his footsteps. My mom was a teacher. You know, she taught third, fourth grade and special needs kids. And I just saw the impact that she had on, you know, children's lives. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a teacher slash coach. And I wanted to follow in my mother's footsteps. You know, I had aunts that were teachers. And so I thought that was my path, and that's what I wanted to do. And honestly, I'm sure you would have been fantastic at it. Whatever the equivalent of seven of seven rings <laughs> in that situation, I'm sure you would have done that. And you know what? Shout, you know, salute and you know, salute to your moms and all the other great teachers out there, because I, I, I that's mm -hmm. one of the professions that they should they should be millionaires on a regular basis. But we, but I digress. I, I you know what? It's I say that a lot too. I say the, the, the teachers. And the people who serve are the people who should be getting paid like athletes because they are the ones that educate us and protect us. Absolutely. All right. There's really no transition from that, but we'll keep it going. <laughs> the Blazers' path to the finals you know, for this year. Now, the previous season, they lost to the Lakers in the first round. But this season, they finished 59-23 and 23 for second in the Pacific. They were 3-0 over the Mavs in the first round, 4-3 over the Spurs in the second round, and then 4-2 over the Suns in the conference finals. Do you remember anything you know, about that run or, or even just about this Blazers team heading in? You know, I just remember this Blazers team was reminding me of the Utah Jazz team where that core was together for a long time. You think about it, that starting five and with Cliff coming off the bench was a team that I played against a lot of times throughout my career, my 92-year 92, 93, you know, going up against them. And, and, and it's, it's I, the thing when I saw it, I saw this matchup, I started thinking about what Cliff Robinson said to me at one point in time. He was like saying, oh, you got Robert Orr guard me? 
I'm going to kill him in this series. <laughs> and, you know, and we end up kicking their butts. I had a great series. And I remember when the reporter said, Cliff Robson was saying he was going to kill you. I said, I guess I was resurrected. So here we go. We went on to the next series and we won the next series. Uh-oh. So it was, it was cool. All these series, you know, bring back a lot of memories. And plus, you know, I got a question for you, Jabari. How many of these guys did I actually play with within this series? Oh, you ever think about I that? Di- you know, I didn't think about that aspect of it. How many teammates did I have in this series? We're, we're, we're going to go through these. I mean, you, that's your guess. Just take well, a let me see. Okay. All right. All right. So I know you played with Rodman for like 13 games or something like that, right? That's one. You played mm-hmm. with, let me see. You played with, did you play with Cliff? No, I didn't play with Cliff. You don't want to play with Cliff? All right. You, you, you caught me. At, you caught, I'm going to guess and say four. How many? How many was it? Actually, it, it was five. It was five players. Oh, okay. Who were who the five? Clyde Drexler. Okay. Oh, yeah. Houston. Dennis Rodman. John Sally. Lakers. Mark Bryant. Lakers. And. Oh, Phoenix. Yeah, and, and Jerome Kersey. LA Lakers. Lakers. Yeah, five guys. I would not. I yeah. That 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 is a great trivia mm-hmm. question that we're gonna we're gonna use in the promotion of this because <laughs> I would not have gotten that. Yeah. I, I completely guessed it for, at four. All right. How many championships did I win with these? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. How many titles did you win with them? Uh, I mean, you know, think about it. I won one with John. I won one with John. One with Clyde. So that's that's an interesting. That's an interesting trivia for this this podcast. I know we're probably getting off track right now. So let's get back on this track. <laughs> Oh no, that's okay. That that, that 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 that's what we call the the the, the good stuff. That's the good stuff <laughs> that we appreciate you for this bringing. Is story time within the story time. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> the, 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 ex- okay, so what about the historical significance? We already know we're going to have a Zeke conversation or two over the course of this series. But you know, you've got the young, you've got young Rodman, you've got Bill Lane Beer, who is a name that I'm pretty sure we're going to you know continue to to discuss throughout. You got the microwave. You got Drexler. You know, obviously Terry Porter. You know, Joey D, uh, you know, but here's one for you that I had completely forgotten. I had, and, he, and he doesn't he doesn't end up having a huge impact in this series, but I had completely forgotten that a young Drazen Petrovic was on that. He you know, was on this Blazers team. Totally forgot that. Yes. And if people don't if people don't know who this guy is, they need to Google him. You know, he unfortunately he died in a car accident and he was one of the greatest shooters to play this game. Let me just say this. When he went from the Blazers to New Jersey, mm-hmm. oh, my goodness, he used to give us fits. The guy was an incredible scorer and could just flat out play. That's absolutely when I knew him. Like, I remember the, you know, the Jersey teams, you know, uh, where it was, was it, uh, what's, what's my man's name? Derek Coleman. Was was Kenny Anderson on those teams? Chris Morris. No, okay. Kenny Anderson was Not Kenny Anderson. Uh, uh, yeah, he was. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, no. Chris that, Morris, that whole crew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They had a really good team. What about the coaching matchup? Did you have any? Did you have any feelings about this one heading in? You got Chuck Daly, more you know, your all time legend, more of a traditionalist in terms of you know the style that he played, definitely inside out. Uh, you know, Rick Adelman, you know, seemingly wanted to be you know very up tempo at this at this stage. Uh, you know, it's it's funny the broadcast mentioned in particular, like uh, in, in the lead in about how many threes you know Portland shot, and you know, like or or just their ability to shoot them on the break. And then I looked on the year; they only averaged six point nine attempts as a team <laughs> like for the year. And it it just adds it it just gives that perspective that that's where we were, uh, you know, in, in nineteen ninety. But you know, what were your thoughts on the matchup? I, I thought the matchup was great. You look at the matchup on paper; you says, "Okay, Detroit Pistons a bruiser, uh, Portland Trailblazers at long bruisers and athletic." On paper, you probably give the edge to the Portland Trailblazers because you got guys like 
you know, Cliff Robinson, who comes off the bench, you know, even though he was a rookie in this season, he was young, he was athletic. And then you look at guys like Jerome Kersey, you know, yeah. a bruiser, man, can get up and down the floor. Of course, Clyde the glide, you know, enough. You, know, you can't talk about him enough. And then you got, you know, Buck Williams, who was one of the most solid power forwards in this game. And, you know, one of my guys that I've always loved and thought he was underrated and we lost him a little too early, too, is Duckworth. You know, the favorite line is how much is a Duckworth? And so Duckworth, <laughs> was he was one of my favorite players growing up. Look, I'm, you know, I've already explained, you know, I, I was built like, you know, a young Charles Barkley. So I had an affinity for players <laughs> like, you know, like, you know, like uh, Duckworth. But I'm going to tell you the truth. He was better than I than I remember because uh, for perspective, you know. I'm 10 years old, you know, 10 going on 11 at the time of this series. So I'm a kid, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? I didn't, I, for whatever the reason was, you know, you, you as a kid, you know the big names and you may have seen, you know, you know Kevin Duckworth, but my man was putting in work in this series. Yeah, it's, it's so many players that go under the radar and Duckworth, because he's overshadowed by Clyde Drexler, Buck Williams, Jerome Kersey, those are the household names. But people who knew this game and watched Kevin Duckworth work, he was good around the basket, had a nice little shot. He could do things from 15 to 16 foot jumpers. And he he could use left, right hand yes. hooks in the post. He was an unstoppable force for a while. He really was. He really was. But let's go ahead and take a quick break because when we come back, we're going to go ahead and jump into game one of this series. You need a vehicle that can meet your family's needs. And Toyota has you covered. Introducing the first-ever Grand Highlander, a midsize SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander never makes you choose between passengers and cargo. You can fit both with ease. With three spacious rows and available seating for up to eight, and legroom that makes even long trips comfortable. With Grand Highlander's available 362-horsepower hybrid max powertrain on limited and platinum trims, you can be confident you have the power, acceleration, and efficiency needed for almost any adventure your family can cook up. And you'll get where you're going in style with a modern, spacious cabin that's perfect for both playdates and date nights. Impressive tech upgrades take the new Grand Highlander to the next level, including available safety features like an available panoramic view mirror and an available 12.3-inch multi-information display so you always arrive on time. Don't just live life. Live life grander in the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Now that spring is here, it's time to focus on self-care and revitalize your personal care routine. Now through March 26, head in store, shop for all your favorite personal care essentials, and earn...
four times rewards points. Shop for items like Crest Toothpaste, Secret Deodorant, Old Spice Deodorant, or Gillette Razors. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details. Welcome back here on NBA Finals File. Let's go ahead and jump into Game 1 of the 1990 NBA Finals. Rob, this game was 13 years to the day of when the Blazers won the title with Bill Walton. <laughs> that's that's so funny. You know, Bill Walton was one of the announcers on, throughout this series, and some of the things he said was like, whoa, did he travel from the future? You know, <laughs> so because it was uh-huh. so many things that he said as an announcer that was spot on that he saw was coming down the track. So it, he was he's amazing. I love Bill. No, absolutely. Look, Bill is still in it. Bill is a is an experience, <laughs> even to this day. One hundred percent. You know, I love when he's on a call, no matter you know whether it's you know they they bring him in and he does a rare NBA game, but obviously in particular you know with the college games, it's always a good time with him. But with this footage, you know, once again, it took me way back. I don't know if you noticed it. You know, it, it uh, before game one, there was a young Mariah Carey that was singing the national anthem here. Ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome Columbia recording artist Mariah Perry for the singing of America the Beautiful. I didn't, I, I, man, I'm not even, I'm not even gonna fib on this. I kind of blew past that because I was excited. I got straight into the game. So I didn't watch Mariah Carey. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> look, look, look. Once again, I, I was of a certain age, so that meant something. That 100 meant something to me. Hey, Mariah <laughs> Carey meant something to me back then too. So you know, young and impressive. And like, think about it. I was when this game was played. I was only 19, but I turned 20. Here they come into the low post. Kick it out. Lane Beer starts the game by missing a three. Drexler, the rebound, and now the Blazers. So Lane Beer misses a three to start this one, and I, w- I was immediately checking basketball reference because, you know, like I wanted to find out like how often he shot him at this stage in his career, and turns out he shot two of them a game, but he actually shot 36%, you know, for, you know, for that season. And here's where I'm turning to you. Now, I know that you said that you didn't pay as much attention to the NBA at this stage, but I'm sure you watched some games given that you're, you know, you're a, you're a college athlete at this point. You, you're, the trajectory was, you know, to play – so I'm interested in whether big guys like you know like Lane Beer that could stretch the floor a little bit were they any sort of inspiration for you given where you were in your in your playing career. You know, for me, I, I didn't even look at me as being a big at this point in time. Um, Got it. You know, I was in my sophomore year. I just came from playing small four. You know, I was playing small four. I wasn't really a power four. I wasn't even a center. So I was a guy on the perimeter. Um, you know, because I had David Benoit playing power four. I had Keith. Um, I mean, Michael Anzi playing the center. Uh, and you think about it, those are two guys on my team that went to the NBA that were the bigs for my team. So I was a small yeah. four, and I never looked at, you know, I, I would watch guys like Jerome, Kersey, Clyde, Drexler. You know, those were, my, those were the guys I keyed in on because those were the guys that were, had the similar body types. And so those are the guys I try to, you know, mold my game after. It's always wild to me when, when, a, when a, a 6'9 guy says, like, yeah, you know, like I was like a big guard. Like, <laughs> I can appreciate But I can appreciate that. I can appreciate that. All right, from the start of this one, it kind of felt like the series where you had opposing styles, you know, clashing, you know, and things might ultimately be determined by which squad could impose their will or dictate, you know, their will. Uh, Detroit definitely ran, as I mentioned earlier, they ran the more traditional offense, oftentimes looking to dump it into the post uh, with Edwards in order to initiate the offense. While Portland's offense, we know, was a bit more helter-skelter, you know, and the Blazers, they looked to run as much as possible. They were already taking threes in transition. (laughs) 
Here's Kersey with a quick shot over Rodman and hits. People curious how this series will develop with the tough, ruling defensive Eastern style and the wide-open transition style that Portland likes to play. Did you notice this class and styles of this one? I did. Um, when I, The first thing I thought about looking at this series, I'm like, wow, this is looking like in modern era, you look like the Memphis Grizzlies, who was in Portland, and you're looking at Detroit Pistons, who, who were the Warriors. That's what it looked like to me, where you got one team that's going up and down, one team that can shoot threes, mm-hmm. can do stuff in the half court. You got two awesome guards, like the Splash Brothers. And that's all I could think about. Like, man, this was the Warriors-Memphis game before they were in this day and era. And if you look at the way Portland came out in that first quarter, and you if you're a person who've never seen basketball play, you're like, oh, this Portland team is way better than the Detroit team. They were more athletic. They was bigger. And it's like, wow, this Portland team can ball. But, you know, sometimes smart minds went out. <laughs> but you're exactly right. Because what, like, I knew, obviously, I know the outcome of the series. But as I was watching this first quarter, I was like, hold on. How many games did Portland get in this one? Because they, like, yeah. they, they look like, you know, and, 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 of course, you know, which you've reminded of us over the course of this series, you know, Never, don't judge it by the first couple of minutes, especially of a game one like in a series. Mm-hmm. But in those first couple of minutes, Jerome Kersey's jumper over Rodman gave the Blazers a 9-3 lead in the first. Then back-to-back buckets from Buck Williams put the Blazers up 15-5, sending the Pistons into a timeout. That's the 13 foul against Detroit. There's Buck Williams going to the hoop. He beats Lane Beer there. Portland, just stay with what you've been doing. Take your time. Go to your isolations, like right here. All the way by Buck Williams. And Buck Williams now has five of Portland's 15 points and a timeout, full timeout being called by Chuck Daly and well he should. So Rob, can you give the folks an idea about the types of players that Buck Williams and Jerome Kersey were for those Blazers teams? You know, for those of us that might not have seen their entire careers. I know a lot of people don't remember Jerome Kersey from the Portland years. They remember him as he moved on from team to team and he became wild thing. Because, you know, that was his nickname uh, he, amongst the players. I don't know if it, it, it transcended across to other people outside of basketball, but he played so hard and so wild. And he just played with uh, with such a, a ferocity that made you scared of him because you didn't want to get hit by him. But he was just a guy who was athletic, get up down the floor. And then Buck Williams is a player that got traded to Portland. This is his first year there. But he was just a solid power for it. If you think of guys now that he was like a bam out of Bob and not as athletic, he was like a, 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 a Horace Grant, you know, before Horace Grant water goggles, Buck water goggles. So if you look at what Buck could do, and he could just dominate defensively because, you know, he was on the all defensive team this year during this series. Yeah. All right. So it's a home game for the defending champs. What do you think Daly's message was at the huddle at that point? It's 15 to 5. Hey, you know, we've been here before. Just settle down, the jitters, knock that out, and go out and play basketball. You know, they came out, this is their first time in the finals, and they're coming out with a lot of energy because you have that nervous energy that can be directed the right way or the wrong way. And you can look at the way Portland was playing. They had a lot of energy in that first quarter, and they just attacked. No, without a doubt. So Portland wound up controlling the action and held a 33-24 to lead after one. Detroit, they clawed back into it as their offense. They it definitely seemed to settle over the next couple quarters, and they pulled to within four at the start of the fourth quarter. But a quick run, capped off by a mid-range jumper and semi-transition from Kersey, put the Blazers up ninety to eighty with seven minutes left in the game. It's ninety to eighty. So all of a sudden, the Pistons with all these chances to take the lead, tied it twice, and now a 
Bill, what's the importance of winning the first game on the road? Well, it gives you the home court advantage. That's right. the obvious reason uh, yeah, to win the first game. But this game is far from over, Pat, with six and a half minutes to go. There's a, a lot of time left for Detroit to come back. And I look for Isaiah Thomas to try to take over this ball game. But if Portland can win this game, it'll be a huge lift for them. What's going on in that huddle right now, Detroit? <laughs> They're looking for somebody to stand up and say, give me the ball. I want to win this game for us. And right now, they don't have that. So, Rob, as they come back from break, the broadcast specifically pointed out that C Coach Daly didn't say a word to his team for the first th basically three quarters of the timeout. He just stared into their eyes and looked back at them at the bench. All right, Dick, thank you very much. Both timeouts that time sprinkled with heavy doses of psychology. Down on the Detroit bench, Chuck Daly didn't say a word for three quarters of the timeout. Just looked in the players' eyes. They know what to do. Down on the uh, corner there. Dick out of the It's our game. Let's go back to Dick. And maybe it's Isaiah Thomas's game because he usually rises to the occasion. I Isaiah Thomas just made Bill Walton look good. Is this simply a situation where the coach and the team are already so in sync at this stage that he knew he, he knew they already knew what needed to be done? And did any of your coaches employ such a, a similar tactic? A lot of coaches just do that tactic because when you're on a team, I, I, I remember my first years with the Houston Rockets. Think about it. I'm the youngest one on the team by six seasons. You know, I was talking about like, you know, vet, you know, you got Kenny was next then Vernon, then Otis and Dream. Think about that. I'm like, Rudy Tia comes say some stuff. I'm looking like, uh, I want to tap one of the players like, yo, what does that mean? Because, <laughs> you know, you you just look around and you follow their lead, even though there's some things that are said that you don't know what he's talking about. But when you got vets like that and they got that, that, that oneness with the coach and they understand his mindset, there's not much that needs to be said because it's, it, guys know if they're playing good, guys know if they're playing bad. It's up to you to go out and correct the mistakes that you're making. And the Pistons did exactly that, it, it, and I'm glad you said it like that because you know, Zeke you know, came out with a drive and finish. Isaiah Thomas into the ball. He's cooking now with 21 points. How many times have we see Isaiah? He presses the inner button in the heart, and all of a sudden he just takes it on. And then all of a sudden Detroit was hot. You know, In fact, Isaiah puts up 14 points over the last seven minutes of the game as the Pistons came roaring back to not only take control, but to take game one 105-99. Dumars making Drexler work. Throws the ball. Percy. Danny Young wide open. But they need two of those. Even if it goes, it doesn't. And the Pistons have won it. Thanks to a 25-9 run over the last eight minutes of this game. Throughout the comeback, the broadcast mentioned that Portland was continuing to attempt, you know, to go one-on-one -on -one and often only got one attempt. Do you think that was their actual strategy or did you just kind of get caught up in the motions of, you know, like, uh, of the action? I think sometimes you get caught up in the motion. You're going to see this again is when Clyde gets in foul trouble. When Clyde Drexler is not on the court, it makes Portland's offense run a little helter-skelter. You know, they start playing iso ball, which they did a little too much of it. You know, they go one-on-one. -on -one. And, and, and the thing about Detroit Pistons, you know, even though, you know, uh, uh, they're a big team, they're an athletic team. You just look at them sometimes. You forget Dennis Rodman, one of the greatest rebounders ever put his games on that team. John Sally who we just know as a comedian, which they talked a lot about in these broadcasts, is an excellent rebounder, excellent shot blocker. But it was fundamentally sound. And that's the thing I want to reiterate throughout this whole series, that if you look at the teams, we know how athletic Portland is, but the Detroit Pistons were so fundamentally sound. You know, they didn't turn the ball over that much. They boxed out. They didn't allow 
the strength of the Portland Trailblazers, which is offensive rebound, to dominate them. And that's how the offense, that's how the Portland Trailblazers went throughout their season. Offensive rebound. They'll take those crazy shots, but they had Jerome, they had Buck, they had Duckworth, they had Cliff, they had all these guys that was athletic enough to get the offensive rebounds and get putbacks. But they didn't get that in this series, and that was key. Isaiah, you guys have been extremely successful this year when you're in the 17 to 20 point range. You knock in 33. Why did you feel it was important to take over? Well, we were struggling a little bit offensively tonight. Uh, we didn't have the type of energy uh, that we had Sunday. Sunday's seventh game, I think, took a little bit out of us. And this was a kind of difficult game for us to prepare for because we didn't really get that much time to prepare. So we didn't really know what to uh, really expect from this Portland team. And uh, offensively, we were struggling a little bit, so I just had to do a little bit more tonight. Be honest, now, you guys have been in a lot of tight situations. Did you get nervous at all tonight? Want me to lie and tell the truth? <laughs> Yeah, I got a little bit nervous. <laughs> were, you, were you surprised by Portland that you played you that well? No, I wasn't surprised because they're here in the finals. And anytime you come out of the West, past San Antonio, past Phoenix, past L.A., you're a pretty good basketball team. Congratulations. All right, let's go back upstairs to Pat O'Brien. And, man, he's with the prophet, Bill Walton. That's right, J.B. We always knew you were metaphysical. How did you know Isaiah was going to take over this game? I didn't know he was going to do it. I just thought he would. But, you know, what happened to the Trailblazers was they stopped playing. With seven minutes to go, they had the 10, 12-point lead, and they just stopped playing. What has to go through your mind when you're in a situation like that is you've got to score points. When you're in the championship and you're on the road, you're coming down the stretch, you've got to think point, point, and more points. They didn't score at all. What do they have to do now to get themselves back together for game two? Now, they've got to put everything that happened tonight out of their mind, everything bad that happened in the last seven minutes of the ball game. they got to erase it completely, start afresh, come out, and just keep playing good basketball like they played in the first uh, three and a half quarters. And like you used to play. Thanks for joining us tonight. It's fun having you here. Great to be I here. I told you you'd see a great game. It was a great game, and we'll see a lot more of these. So let's go ahead and go to game two. One distinct feeling that Portland coach Rick Adelman had prior to game one was that it was there for the taking. And coach, indeed, for 42 minutes, that was the case. What adjustments for game two? Well, I think during this game, we have to do a better job around the baskets. Uh, we didn't keep them off the offensive boards at their offensive end, and, and we didn't really get the offensive boards we normally get. So we were concerned about that because that's been a strong point all year long, and we felt if we would have controlled the backboards, we probably would have won that game fairly easily. And the other thing is they just got too much penetration and put a lot of pressure on us and got a lot more free throws than we did. And those two areas we got to be concerned with. After such a disappointing loss, any signs of concern emotionally for your team? No, there really wasn't. I think all our guys felt that we should have won the game. Uh, they felt that we made some mistakes down the stretch that cost us, uh, but they all felt we could compete with this team. So uh, they were very confident today. Because Detroit, they went to James Edwards at the start of this one as well, but the ball movement, it just felt a little bit more crisp. All the Pistons always like to start the ball game by going down inside, especially to James Edwards to open things up. Try to play two-man basketball. And he was hitting stride for a nice turnaround jumper to kick things off for the Pistons. The Blazers responded by immediately finding Duckworth in the post. Now, this I like this right here. Going into Duckworth. Make Lampier work. couple of pumps by Duckworth, and the score is tied with the two big men. As long as you apply pressure up front, the big men get in foul trouble with that pump substitutions. That's always to your advantage. Uh, in order to make Lambeer work on the other end from the start, and honestly, he shows some really quality footwork. Can you can you just give the folks a little bit about Duckworth? Because I, I almost feel like, especially my generation and those that came afterwards, we may just see like a big body out there. We may a lot of people don't realize just how smooth his game really was. Yeah, his game was really smooth. It had a really nice touch to it. And Duckworth, when you have that size and strength, 
Usually guys say, oh, I'm not going to let you go this way. And he'll set you up. He'll let, make you think he's going middle. Then he'll drop step back to the middle. Or he'll just turn around and shoot a little jumper. His touch, even though his shot wasn't the prettiest shot, an awkward mm-hmm. shot, but it was efficient. And that's, what it, that's all that matters at the end of the day if it gets in. I say this all the time. It's about getting buckets. And Duckworth was a bucket. He was a walking bucket down there in the post. Absolutely. You never told me the Pistons were a one-man team. Duckworth goes in and hits again. Duckworth has two hoops. See, I like that strategy because it's going to make Lambeer work defensively, put pressure on him, lose a little bit of that energy. So, Rob, it also looked like they were trying to make a point to attack Lambeer from the start. So I'm interested, on a team with so much talent all around, it was Bill a bit of his of their wild card given his relative you know versatility. You know, Bill was they they you know we talk about Isaiah, we talk about Dumas, but I think Bill was a leader, their emotional leader on the court because he did so many things for them. He he facilitated a lot of their their offense. Think about it. We always talk about you know these bigs in this day and era. Bill he might be the originator of it being a center to knock down threes. He was pulling guys out, and it was it was so weird if you watch this game. The bigs were nowhere near him nope. when he was taking his threes. They were deep into the paint. It was almost at the rim, and he had his shot, and he was able to knock it down. But, you know, for people who don't know Lambert, and they just think about the straight bad boy image, just, just think about all the hard fouls he used to give. But he was a very smart player. He was a guy that could knock down some big shots, and he was a guy that could really pass the rock. Absolutely. So the Pistons, they continue to go to Edwards earlier in often. And look, I, I got to be honest about this one, Rob. I didn't remember Edwards having such a lively body at this age. I know that, you know, current players, they make us feel like 34 isn't that old. But for a big guy in his 13th season back then, it was really impressive over the course of this series. Man, you know, po- people don't know Buddha, which is James Edwards' nickname. Uh-huh. You call People would call him Buddha. Buddha would go to work on you, man. He was one of those guys that had it all in the post. He had turnaround jumpers. He could go over right shoulder, left shoulder. And I think if you watch him, you say, okay, he looks a little like Dream on the post where Dream would do a little shimmy, a little fadeaway. He looks a little bit like, you know, uh, 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 Rasheed Wallace, where Rasheed shoots it really high. Buddha did all that. It's like a lot of guys might have, uh, you know, emulated Buddha because Buddha was one of the most fantastic scorers in the post. And if I had to go between Duckworth or Buddha, I'm taking Buddha because Buddha was a master in the paint, uh, you know, eluding the defense and fading away, hitting jumpers. But Duckworth was more of just a spot-up shooter. I really like those comparisons that you had. The guy that I thought of over the course, I was like, here's a little bit of Pat Ewing in his game. And I recognize Pat was already in the career, well into his career at this stage. But I saw in his movements, I was like, okay, this is like young Pat or, you know, your (laughs) prime Pat. But either Mm -hmm. way, always, always fun to look back at these old old time greats. One play that I want to highlight. It comes in the first half as Rodman grabs an offensive board and he has the ball knocked away by Drexler. John Sally recovers the ball, but sort of floats a pass out near the three-point line that Drexler actually picks off and starts racing the length of the court. Zeke, look, I, I'm going to give Zeke his credit. He did his best to get back and get in position. He tried to take the charge, but Rob, anybody that knew Drexler, and I, th- and I feel like if Zeke had this do all over again, he'd probably do it again, but he might, he might think twice. Drexler just takes off, but basically like right inside, right inside the dotted line and yams it all in, all in Zeke's grill. Sally 
throws it away to Drexler. It's a two-on-one break. Drexler is the glide that you've been asking for. Oh, my. What a sensational move. I mean, Isaiah's laughing as he's running down the floor. Gave Chuck Daly ahead on the piston sideline. I mean, Clyde just stepped right over the Thomas top of Z. Into Edwards. Now, again, we know there's no shame in getting dunked on by Glide because my man was lethal on the break. But did you notice, it, 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 uh, for, for one, did you remember this play? And if you did, did you notice even Zeke had to laugh as he got up and he was heading, de- heading back down court? You know, every player gets caught in that, uh, what it was I thinking moment, where you say, okay, I'm going to rotate over. You know, my first, uh, what was I thinking moment came with Sean Kemp. Where I try to oh. rotate on the break over, I'm like, oh, what was that? And you know it. You know it. Rain Man dunks all over me. My first, you know, first time I ever got dunked on in the NBA. And this is one of those moments. Zeke, you know, he's been knowing Clyde for a long time. He knows the fly slammer jammer years when he was at Houston. And you come down on the break and he does that Statue of Liberty. And Clyde had this unique way of lifting his knees up mm-hmm. and lifting his legs up. So all you saw was <laughs> knees coming at you. And I know Isaiah like, oh, here come those knees. And Statue of Liberty dunk. That was one of the sweetest dunks that Clyde has done in the playoffs. Yeah, and, and and he has a few of them in this series, but yeah, that was nice. That, that That's absolutely a memorable one. So Rob Porter, who was actually 15 for 15 from the line in this game, he knocks down two free throws that eventually uh, send the game into overtime. And then we've got, we, we had another one of those fun final showdowns between Lane Beer and Drexler during the overtime period because it includes two threes from Bill and some tough buckets from Clyde. Drexler trying to post up, had Isaiah Thomas on him. And he ties it up. I'd say I, I, I really admire him right there. That, that was really some effort. He went down inside, tried to post up, got banged around, came up to the top, made the catch, and had the presence to knock that shot down. Lane Beer fires a three and hits it. Wexler working in against Dumars and makes an impossible shot. I don't even know if he was looking at the basket. You know, as he turned into that shot, he saw Lane Beer coming right at him, and he banged. He has scored all four Trailblazer points here in overtime. So, Rob, Detroit, they had a four-point lead when Isaiah picks up his sixth foul with right around 110 left in overtime. They had Lane Beer and Thomas, and for Isaiah, that'll be his sixth foul, and he is gone. So, Isaiah Thomas is fouled out of this one in overtime with 110 remaining. And honestly, it just all seemed to unravel for the Pistons at this point. Porter makes the free throws you know, to pull within a bucket, and then Detroit, they turn the ball over on a play where it kind of seemed like there was some contact once again on Dumars, only to see Drexler come down and knock down a jumper from the wing. Drexler, long range, ties it up. Clyde Drexler with 31 points has tied the game. Under a minute to go. Great shot, but how about the pass by Porter in traffic? The Detroit Pistons guards are always in the paint trying to offensive rebound. Get out of there, little guards. You don't belong in there. And he thought, especially, you know, with, uh, with Vinny, you know, the microwave, he was one of the guys that was battling for a lot of offensive rebound. Joe Dumars was a sneaky offensive rebounder. So in this series, it was really guard dominated and especially on the Pistons end. So the, we're going to talk about that more. But these guys are relentless on the offensive board, meaning the Detroit Pistons. So on the other end, Lane Beer actually knocks down a huge three that put the put the Pistons back up one with 4.1 seconds to go. Clock running down, Lane Beer fires a and hits with four seconds to play. So Rodman actually fouls Drexler on the drive, and Clyde knocks down the two uh, two free throws in order to retake the lead. Drexler guarded by Rodman and a foul, and he'll go to the line. Excellent call. 
Good call, Dick. You had that all the way. Rodman had his hand right on his hip. That was an excellent play. So now the Blazers can take the lead. But Drexler, who's four for six from the line, has to hit both. The Pistons, they did have one more shot at it. But Edwards misses on a turnaround situation where, again, it felt like there was some contact. That's okay. Uh, the Blazers wind up taking game two on the road, 106-105, for the nice split. 1.5 seconds. Here it goes. Edwards goes up with it. And the game is over. No foul. The game is over, and Portland has won. And for the first time in the playoffs, the Detroit Pistons have lost at the Palace, and it snaps their 14-game winning streak. Joe Dumars was really nice in this game, Rob. He scored 20 you know, he scores 20 in game one, but he has a really solid game across the board for Detroit in this one. 16 points, eight rebounds, six assists. Edwards also had 26. Zeke had 23, 11, and seven before fouling out. Don't forget about Boodoo. Boodoo started that game off five for five. He was five for eight at the end of the first quarter with 12 mm -hmm. points and ended up with 26 points in this game. And Boodoo, meaning James Edwards, was the catalyst to this team, you know, stand within this game. But if you think, when you watch this game, and if you didn't see this game, and I tell you, okay, Bill Lambert had six threes with 26 points. Isaiah Thomas at 23 and Booty yeah. at 26. And Joe at 16, you would say they win. Absolutely. But there's a guy by the name of Clyde the Glide that had 33, Terry Porter 21, Duckworth 14. So there was a counter to that. And, and, and this is one of those games, if you look at the stats, there's no way Detroit Pistons don't win this game. But – Sometimes it boils down to a simple thing called free throws. The Trailblazers had, they were 33 for 41 from the free throw line, whereas the Detroit Pistons were 15 for 23. The game was won at the free throw line. It really was. And there, there's a situation where Buck Williams is at the line late, you know, like in a, in a key situation. He's only shooting 66% in, in, in the postseason at this stage. He knocked them both down like it was nothing. And they also got, you know what, I just want to mention it because, you know, he doesn't end up having a huge impact on the over the course of the series. But this in this game, uh, Drazen Petrovic ends up coming off the bench with eight big points for the, you know, for the Blazers in support. Yeah, because the bench play for both teams is important. You talk about the microwave, been the microwave, but two points ain't going to cut it. But we say he can redeem himself later on in the series. But I also want to mention when we talk about free throws, that was one of the main reasons that the, the Trailblazers lost game one. Down the stretch, they missed a lot of free throws. But now they redeem themselves in this game by knocking them down. You know, that's always about making adjustments, not just as a coach, but as a player. No, without a doubt. Without a doubt. All right, let's take another quick break here before we get into game three. You need a vehicle that can meet your family's needs, and Toyota has you covered. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a midsize SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander never makes you choose between passengers and cargo. You can fit both with ease. With three spacious rows and available seating for up to eight, and legroom that makes even long trips comfortable. With Grand Highlander's available 362 horsepower hybrid max powertrain on limited and platinum trims, you can be confident you have the power, acceleration, and efficiency needed for almost any adventure your family can cook up. And you'll get where you're going in style with a modern, spacious cabin that's perfect for both play dates and date nights. Impressive tech upgrades take the new Grand Highlander to the next level, including available safety features like an available panoramic view mirror and an available 12.3-inch multi-information display, so you always arrive on time. Don't just live life. 
Live life grander in the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Head in store and shop for all your favorite personal care essentials to earn four times rewards points. Shop for products from Olay, Always, Gillette, Vicks, and Crest. Plus, check out new items like Mr. Clean Magic Eraser Ultra Thick Multi-Surface Cleaner. No more sponges or other cleaning products needed. And Head & Shoulders Bare Soothing Hydration Shampoo, a new kind of anti-dandruff shampoo with only nine ingredients. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details. All right, we're back here on NBA Finals File. Let's go ahead and shift the action to Portland. And now we're at the Veterans Memorial Coliseum. And Rob, this is an interesting one because this building only held 12,000 seats, but it really did look like the fans were right on top of the action, kind of similarly to how a big high school or even a college atmosphere might be. Right, Dick, thank you very much. And it's obvious that these Portland Trailblazer fans are intent on showing all of America just what hometown team support is all about. Now, today's packed house is the 579th consecutive sellout here, the longest current string of any in professional sports. And despite the fact that this is the second smallest arena of the 27 around the league, the fans here, with some justification, feel they are the loudest. Now, you talk to the Blazer players, they say the fans provide healing power. This is the closest thing to a good old-fashioned gym. Not an arena, but a gym. And whatever shooting or rebounding ills plague them on the road, it's all cured when they come back to the noise den. Now, assuming they can hear me, let's go back to my colleagues, Dick and Hubie. In fact, Duckworth kicks things off with a mid-range jumper, and the place sounded like it had a lot more than 12,000 in attendance due to the configurations. Kevin Duckworth, wide open. So I'm wondering, did you ever play in a building like that as a professional? Uh, I played in a couple, and I think I played in this arena my first couple of years in the league, and Arco, um, where the, the, the Kings play, was like this. When... As a player, you love playing these arenas because, you know, the sight line is so good for shooting a rock because it's not that huge backdrop like you do when I played in the Staples Center. You know, it was you didn't really have anything to gauge it on. It took you a while to adjust. But in little arenas like this, you know, you just out there balling. You got the, the crowd noise is great. And it, it gives you as a player, it gives you adrenaline. I always talk about this, you know, and, and I think every player will say this, that we appreciate the fans so much when they get rowdy. They get loud and they just root for the fan, for the home team. It's it's a wonderful uh, experience. It's a wonderful wonderful atmosphere to be in. I can I honestly can only imagine. I I, I was gonna lie and say I can I can imagine. No, I can't. <laughs> I can only imagine what that must feel like. But it has to give you at least a little bit of a boost for sure. So in this one, Rodman has an injured ankle and he can't go. So Coach Daly he swaps out and he he swaps Mark Aguirre into the starting lineup. 
while Rodman's one of the best, you know, one of the league's best defenders, but you know, you're clearly, and you're obviously going to miss his hustle plays. Do you think that adding another offensive threat into that mix may have actually opened things up for the other guys in an unexpected way? I think it does, especially Mark McGuire. Mark McGuire is probably their best post player. You know, I know that sounds weird, being the fact that he's a guard. And, you know, they're going to lose something on the defense end because I think that guy by the Dennis, name of Dennis was defensive player of the year this year. Yep. And so, you know, you lose a lot defensive. You know, Rodman can guard anybody on the floor at any given time from the guards to the smalls to the big. So they lost a lot um, defensively and rebound-wise. But Mark McGuire, he, he might not be named in the microwave like his, his teammate Vinny, but this guy can get buckets on that post like no other. And speaking of that guy, you know, because I have here, you know, adjustments like this, you know, in this series, it's always interesting, you know, to me because it, for me, it, it always seems like it has more of a ripple effect rather than just solely or directly impacting a single player. You know, as a result of, of Aguirre being in a starting lineup, that also meant additional minutes and opportunities for other reserves. The most noteworthy one was Vinny Johnson, the guy that you, you, you just alluded to. You know, he gets minute, you know, he gets big time minutes in this one. He, you know, previous game he only played 16. He plays 25 huge minutes off the bench for Detroit in game three. And Johnson shows exactly why he uh, earned the nickname of the microwave 10 years earlier, as he wound up being one of seven pistons to reach double figures in this game. Now, Rob, this is where this is where I have fun. When I'm when I'm doing the research on these and I see these, I'm like, oh, this is a bit this almost feels serendipitous. This is fantastic. Cause I'm gonna bring up an old friend of yours once again. But do you know the story about how Vinny got his nickname? Uh, you know what? I do not. And the question is, I think this is, but, but microwave didn't come out to what, five years before this. So <laughs> uh-huh. I would love to know what year did the microwave, you know, come into play and how did he get this nickname? He got this nickname and this is per multiple reports. I, and I made sure I was like, no, I got to make sure on this one. I And I quote, if that guy in Chicago, William Perry is the refrigerator, then Vinny Johnson is the microwave. Your man, Danny Ainge, is the one that gave him that nickname. And he because he was talking about how the you know how Vinny Johnson came in the game four of the 1985 series and scored 22 points in the fourth quarter. So the one of the greatest nickname sports nicknames of all time came from your man, Danny Ainge. Love you, Danny. Vinny <laughs> Johnson. Basket counts and a foul. So BJ has come out and the microwave cooking for the first time in the series. All right. On that note, back to a bit of the action. You know, Drexler, he didn't shoot well in this one, but he and Jerome Kersey really kept the Blazers going offensively in this one. Uh, Joe Dumars, you know, had been reportedly dealing with a sore growing all, you know, throughout the playoffs. He kind of takes on more of a scoring role, you know, for Detroit in this one as well. And he had his, you know, his best offensive game of the series. So, Rob, this is a bit of a theme of the show. As we know, it, it tends to happen every series. But what does it do for a team when it gets a somewhat unexpected you know, offensive burst from multiple guys in ways that Dumars and Vin- Ed Vinny elevated their games for this one? You know, it, it takes a lot of the, the pressure off guys like Dumars and Thomas. You know, Isaiah, you know, IT can do it at any time, any given day, and he takes he, he, he waits to take over in the fourth quarter like he did so many times in this in his series. But I, I, when you have guys like that, then, you know, as the opposing team, it confuses you because you you don't game plan for stuff like this. And now you got to, you know, adjust. And that's what makes the good teams great. They're able to adjust off the fly. You say, you know what? You go back into your memory bank, say, okay, we did this with X player. Let's just apply this to this player. And we run the same defensive schemes. And I think if teams can do that, that's when they're able to win championships and are able to win games. And I think with this, Vinny Johnson, okay, he's not a post-up player. He's not a three-point shooter. He's that mid-range guy, beat you off the dribble. Who? What can we do? And they had the Portland Trailblazers 
off kilter. They were off balance for a long time in this game. He once again needs excellent anticipation. Technical foul has been called against Chuck Daly, who's at midcourt, to complain about it. So Coach Daly actually gets a tech for advocating for uh, Vinny Johnson on a missed call that results in a turnover earlier in the second quarter. But the very next time down, Vinny gets it going, and he knocks down a baseline jumper and gets the call. So, Rob, I'm interested in the game within the game on this one. How much does it work when coaches use tactics like this or even during media sessions in, in post games to send messages? And from a player's perspective, does it get you guys going? Does it energize you as players when, when you see coaches going to bat for you? You, know, you really appreciate when coaches take that T because they know that's money out their pocket, but they're going out to the ballot. And plus, it put it, it not, you know, the ref who missed that call or allegedly missed that call, it puts them on as they know there's a reason the coach is upset. There's a reason the player upset. You know, I'm not perfect. And a lot of refs will be like, okay, you know, let me, you know, look into this situation. Not just that ref that didn't call it, but the other two refs too, because sometimes those refs see it and they hold a Wilson because they don't want to overstep their, their, their partner. And I think for me, that was the way with Daly. said, yo, man, my guy Vinny is working hard, too. Mm -hmm. He's going to the rack and he's getting fouled. You know, bigs can go get fouled like this. So can a little guard because Vinny plays like a big sometimes. And in this moment, I think that was key because it opened the, uh, the ref's eyes to Vinny's getting hit on his shot. Vinny Johnson looking to score big, is scoring big thus far with nine points. And Vinny ends up scoring 15 points in that second quarter, and we actually had a high-scoring affair with Detroit taking the lead of 58-51 into the half. But Vinny Johnson has come alive for the first time in the final with 15 points in the second quarter. And Detroit in front, and that is the end of the first half here with the score. The Pistons 58, Trailblazers 51. So, Rob, you're Portland. You've already stolen home court advantage in the series. What is Adamant saying to these guys at halftime of this one? And is there any part of you as a player thinking, hey, we've already won in Detroit and we've got the next two games at home after this one. So, you know what I mean? Like, is, is there any part of you as a player that might think that? No, you said when, when now. And I think the key thing is like we can't let a guy come off the bench and give us 15. We got to shut him down. And at, as a good, solid, deep as a team, like, they, like the Portland Trailblazers were, you know, think about it. Vinny had 15. And what did he end up with at the end of the game? 21. Mm -hmm. So even though he only scored six points in the second half, they locked in. That lets they know they was paying attention to what the coach said. And for me, that's what you have to do at halftime. You have to make the adjustments, okay? Now you shut down Vinny. But sometimes when you key in on a guy like that, there's other guys that's going to step up and bite you in the butt. All right, Rob. One play I want to specifically mention came with about 5'10 to go in the third. With the Pistons leading 75-62, Terry Porter finds Drexler on the wing, where Clyde immediately goes into attack mode against Dumars. He gets past him just outside the key, and then he elevates to go around Zeke. And I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, besmirch or begrudge Zeke, but he made a business decision in this one. And he he kind of gets out of the way. And and I'm not joking with you. It felt like Clyde could hit an extra notch when he was in the air because it felt like he was going to dunk it, but then you know. Uh, Bill Beer jumps in the way, and he goes over the top of him for the and one. Just a fantastic play from Drexel there. And the one thing that I specifically want to note is he shows some emotion after the play. He even slams the ball down, but he doesn't get called for a tech because it had no impact on the actual game. 5-10 to go in the third. Jake O'Donnell has his hands full right now, but damn, there it is. There's your dunk 
But what Lambeer was yelling about, he wanted the technical foul for holding on to the rim. And I really like that because as someone, you know, I'm someone that appreciates when guys shows emotion, when guys show emotion out there and they really get into it. You know, from playing with Clyde, Clyde really didn't show that emo much emotion. And in that play, I'm so happy. Let me point this out. They, they didn't call it tech because yep. it, it was just him slamming the ball down, excited about the dunk, getting pumped. You know, if you watch the Detroit Pistons player, they trying to get a tech call, but he didn't throw yep. it at anybody. He caught it himself. And, you know, but Clyde, you know, to see those dunks live, playing with him for two years, and to watch and to watch his athletic ability was amazing. I think if you watch him throughout this series, and we always talk about Iceman's finger roll, mm -hmm. Clyde had one of the best finger rolls. Also, he could go to the rack and flip it just right, and he was amazing at getting to the hole, dunking on people or finger roll. <laughs> Does Clyde not get, and, and don't get me wrong, everybody that you know is having a real conversation about, you know, especially 80s and 90s basketball, they respect and appreciate Clyde. But I'm talking about the general conversation now. Is it simply just a matter if he played during Jordan's like heyday? Is is that really why that we because like honestly, I feel like Clyde is underappreciated. He's very underappreciated. And I think a lot of times, you know, even think about the 95 championship, people are talking about. Oh, he only won it because Michael Jordan didn't play, which is a lot of crock, a lot of BS. But I, I think if you look at, at Clyde's, you know, overall game, he was on the dream team. Mm -hmm. He was considered at one point, you know, one of the best players ever played this game. Top 50. And but there's always a time in your life where you're going to be overshadowed by something. And he was overshadowed by the GOAT, by Michael Jordan. It just so happens. It just so happens. People always forget that Portland passed on, you know, drafting Michael Jordan. They did. To, and think about it. These two guys could have been playing together. That could be our first dynamic duo right there. Honestly, I can't even imagine what that would have been like, but that would have been that would have been fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. So continuing on to wrap this one up, the Pistons were able to keep Portland at bay. Uh, they, they continued to basically just out-execute them in the half court, limiting the amount the Blazers were able to get out and uh, get up tempo. Here's Duckworth. As Detroit has outscored Portland in every period, and you can't be more decisive than that, Hugh. Well, the Portland perimeter game was totally non-existent today, and 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 also their front line and foul trouble—they're the major issues for their offensive philosophy. Dumars leads with 33. Thomas and Johnson 21. The guards had it today for the Pistons, and Detroit has taken a two-to-one lead in the best-of-seven series. And they pretty much just coasted to a 121-106 win in Game 3 to regain home court advantage and take a 2-1 series lead. Uh, a couple tidbits in this one. Dumars had a nice one, 33 points and, five, and uh, 5 assists. Microwave with 21 off the bench on 9 of 13 shooting, which is just ridiculous. Zeke had 21, 8, and 5. Uh, on the other side of the court, you know, Clyde, you know, a, night, a, a fantastic game. Again, he didn't have a great shooting night, but he still put up 24 points, 13 rebounds, 8 assists. Uh, Jerome Kersey, we mentioned him earlier a couple times, 27 and 7. Just a, just a, this it, it's 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 one of those games where it's the the biggest blowout of the series, but there are a lot, you know, a lot of great performers throughout. Yeah, a lot of great performers and you think about this, as you look at the series, it's going to be a lot of guard play, you know, in this series. But then you have a guy like Jerome Kersey who comes up and leads his team with 27 points. But if you look at this and you talk about a team effort, the reason the Pistons won this game because it was a total team effort. They have seven guys in double figures. And I always like to say this, this game is about quarters. Sometimes if you win a quarter, you might lose. Sometimes you win a quarter, you might win. But in this sense, the Detroit Pistons won every quarter. 
You know, they didn't lose a quarter. So, you know, if you win every quarter, that means you win every game, right? So they won this game big time, 121-106. A lot was made about your poor shooting the last several games. Why weren't you concerned? Because uh, I felt like my shot was on. Uh, you know, it's difficult when you come off the bench and uh, you get four shots, six shots. I'm a scorer. I'm not a shooter. So I need more time. I need more shots for me to be effective some nights. Some nights I can come off and hit the shots right away. Some nights it takes a little more time. But, you know, once I get into my rhythm, everything's fine. Were they consciously looking for you today? Today, definitely. Uh, when I first won the game, they called like four plays in a row for me, and they helped me a great deal. You guys have the home court back now. Well, uh, we felt like we can come up here and win, and uh, we're not happy with just one, so uh, look out. There you go. All right, we're going to end part one here, but come back for part two with one of the greatest shots in NBA history that you might not remember. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a midsize SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower, hybrid max powertrain on limited and platinum trims. Hybrid max powertrain engine delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even available safety features like an available panoramic view mirror and an available 12.3-inch multi-information display, so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash grandhighlander. You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Turns out, a delightfully clean home can make for a delightful start to the day. At Mrs. Myers, everything they make is inspired by the garden. With plant-derived and other thoughtfully chosen ingredients, their cleaning products smell like a dream and work like the Dickens, leaving your home sparkly clean and your to-do list tackled in no time. Goodness, there's no better feeling than that. Mrs. Myers, rooted in goodness. Visit mrsmyers.com today.